So we are in the middle of chapter 29. Chapter 29, if you look at it on its own, just seems to be a bitter pill. So harsh, so different than what we're used to in Chabad philosophy. But we have to look at it within the bigger context. Where does this chapter come in? This chapter comes in following the new idea that the Alter Rebbe began to introduce in chapter 26, which was the need for joy. He said that if you do not have joy, you cannot serve Hashem properly. And in order for, even if we do everything we're supposed to do, even if we get all into the proper meditations and understand everything we're supposed to understand, we will not be able to serve Hashem if we're feeling sad. And another thing that was getting in the way is if we would have a dull heart. If a person is sad or if they have a dull heart, then even if they're strong, they cannot prevail because sadness weighs you down and a dull heart weighs you down. This chapter began the idea of the dull heart. Up until now, we dealt with the subject of sadness. This chapter began the idea of a dull heart. And all the serious tactics that we're taking in this chapter are so that we can have joy. We can't forget that. Otherwise, we get sucked up in the details and we forget the bigger picture. Doing the exercise in this chapter is so that we can have joy. So chapter 29 began with the condition of a dull heart. And the dull heart is somebody who is doing everything they should do. They're studying well, they're meditating, but their heart is not responding. And the author said, if your heart is not responding, it's because it's being blocked by the sitra akhra, the dark side. And because we identify so deeply with the dark side and the ego, by crushing our own heart, we can get rid of that condition of spiritual illness. Now... We went through so many stages in this chapter. But finally, the last thing that we came to, the last thought that we came to, was that when a person does succeed in shattering the animal soul and bringing it down, casting it to the ground, he will then help his divine soul. In what way will he help his divine soul? He will help his divine soul so that it it experienced the divine in a primary relationship. Eye to eye, literally see Hashem. What does it mean to see Hashem? We cannot see Hashem. So what does it mean to see Hashem? It means that we come to a space where we are so certain of Hashem's absolute reality and that He is the only reality that is as though we've seen Him with our eyes. Just like when you see something with your eyes, you're so certain. We'll come to a space where we're so certain that Hashem is the only reality that it pervades our consciousness so deeply that it's as though we've seen it with our eyes. Wow, that's a bold statement. Just for the fact that we shatter our animal soul, that we cast our darkness to the ground, that we humble our hearts, that we disassociate from our egos, then we'll be able to come to a space where we're so in touch with the divine truth, that we're so in, in touch with the truth of reality, that there's nothing else besides Hashem. How is that? So the altar is going to explain that to us. And we are at the bottom of page seven. I know that each time I print the copies, the numbers are different. It's literally two lines from the bottom. And I'll read the English over here. In this way, he will help his divine soul. Enlightening its eyes to perceive the truth of the unity of the infinite light of the Ein Sof as though with physical sight and not merely through the lesser perception of hearing and understanding. 
So coming up, Alfred is going to explain why it is that this actually works. But first, he's going to explain just how very important it is. And he says like this: For as explained elsewhere, this is the core of the whole divine service. Coming to this realization of Hashem, knowing so deeply and with such certainty that there is no other reality besides Him, is not a, ma- a side point. It's not a side issue. It is the core of the whole divine service. Imagine you're going to look at a house to buy and the real estate agent is taking you around and she shows you, look at the beautiful Spanish architecture and look what a fine neighborhood. And by the way, if you move here, you'll also have shelter. By the way, it's not by the way, that's the main point of the house. Over here, coming to a place of being totally aware, keenly and deeply that Hashem is the only reality is not just a side point of our divine service. It is the core of service. There's two things about serving Hashem. One is fulfilling Hashem's will. But then there's something else in serving Hashem and that's removing the illusions of this world and coming to the nature of reality, that there's nothing else besides Hashem. In fact, in chapter 33, we're going to see how the Altar speaks about that the reason a soul came down to this earth is so that the, the knowledge that Hashem is the deepest reality and the only reality, and He pervades every which space and even our minds and our hearts, is the reason why our soul came down here. That this reality should be so true that it fills our consciousness. So coming to a space where we're so aware of Hashem is huge. It's the reason why our soul came down here. And later on again, in chapter 36, the altar is going to say that Hashem created this world for the purpose of having a dwelling place in the lowest realms. A dwelling place in the lowest realms is not just about the physical space that will build him a base HaMikdash. A dwelling, well, not too, of course. That's the, that's the expression of Hashem's presence here. We see that there's an edifice made of stones and gold and it expresses the divine. It was a spit when the Beis HaMikdash stood, it expressed Hashem. You were there, you knew you were in His presence. There were open miracles all the time. You were within nature and yet you transcended nature. So that too, that there should be something physical that expresses the divine. But we can't forget that when we creatures who inhabit a physical body that is naturally attracted to materialism and in our consciousness suddenly come to an awareness of the truth that there is only one reality and that is Hashem that creates an abode for Hashem down here that is the reason for creation that is the reason why our soul came down to this universe is to reach this perceptible vision that there is no other reality besides for Hashem so why is that? Vahata'a. The reason that humbling the spirit of the Sitra Akhra is effective in crushing it is In truth, there is no substance whatever in the Sitra Akhra. There is absolutely nothing to it. Like, I get it. Darkness covers the soul, and if we remove this, the darkness, our soul will shine. But to remove the darkness, it should take seemingly... A whole battle of engagement, we should have to become involved in many details. And that's not the method here. The method here is disengage and humble it. 
Is it really that simple? And so the altar explains, yes, it's really that simple because the sitra achra is actually substanceless. It seems so real and it's fake. There's really nothing to it. That is why it is compared to darkness, which has no substance whatsoever. The Zayhar says, Darkness that has no substance. That's it. It's substanceless. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. If you have two things that are constantly fighting with each other, it's because they each have their own properties and their own characters, like fire and water. Fire gets overwhelmed by water, it gets put out, but not because it has no substance, it's because their properties don't mix. And when one of them overwhelms the other, it then overpowers it. That's not how it is with darkness and light. With darkness and light, darkness is simply the absence of light. All it takes is for the light to show up and then it disappears. It has no properties. Its only property is that it's the absence of light. And automatically it is banished in the, by the presence of light. It's like the monster that disappears when the, the light goes on. There is nothing to it. The monster, the monster, there is no monster. Turn the light on and it's gone. The kach hasitra achra, similarly the sitra achra. So you're going to say, one second, the sitra achra, come on, please. It gives so much vitality to so many levels of existence. Af harbe, kol Indeed, it possesses abundant vitality with which to animate all the impure animals and the souls of the nations of the world and also the animal soul of the Jew, as has been explained. So we're looking around the world, we're saying, one second, so the Sitra Achor, please, it has so much vitality. Look at all the things that get energy from it. Look at the, look at the unclean animals. Look at the nations of the world. Look at the Jewish animal soul, which comes from a different level of klipa, but nevertheless, it comes from the Sitra Achra. How are you going to tell me it doesn't have vitality? It has abundant vitality. So the Altarab explains, Mikom makayim, hare kol chayusa ena mitzad atzma chas v'shalom, ela mitzad hakadusha kanal. Yet, this vitality is not its own, God forbid, but stems from the realm of holiness. For the realm of holiness is the source of all life including even the life force of the Sitra Ahura, as has been explained above. So yes, it has life force, but its life force is not its own. We learned earlier in chapter 22, everything gets its life force from holiness. Nothing can exist without getting life force from holiness. It just depends where does it get its life force from. Some things that are inherently holy, like the Jewish divine soul, like anything that is holy and pure, think about a Torah, think about tefillin, anything that is inherently holy gets its energy from the innermost aspect of holiness. The innermost aspect means this thing has inherent value. Hashem wants it in and of itself. It is inherently precious. Then there are other things that have to exist in order to allow for the freedom of choice, in order for the, allow, to allow the, the goodness of the Jewish person to shine. Those things are not inherently valuable. Some of those things are inherently terrible. But they're there so that there can be freedom of choice. They're there to serve a greater purpose. Those things don't draw their energy from their innermost aspect of holiness. They draw their energy from the hindermost aspect. It's like somebody throwing something to their enemy over their shoulder. They don't want to give it to them, but they have to. That is the Sitra Achor. The Sitra Achor gets a minimal amount of energy so that it can exist. 
but inherently it has nothing. Inherently it has no value. Anything that it has is not its own. And what it has is nothing. And this is a quote from Rabbi Steinsatz. He says that the Sitra Ahura, whatever it has is not its own. And whatever is its own is nothing. And he compares it. He said there's a theory in microbiology about a virus. That the virus is simply a genetic code that attaches itself to an existing biological structure. It on its own cannot create life. All it can do is attach itself to a, an existing biological form and pervert it. What does it have? It doesn't have life. Its only existence is to be, it's, it's a parasite. It's a parasite. That's what evil is. It's a parasite. It leashes onto life and perverts it. But it doesn't have anything of its own. It cannot create life. That's what the Sitra Akhar is. It doesn't have anything true. It seems to have so much energy because it gives so much life force to so much of this world. It doesn't have its own life force. The life force that it has is from holiness, from Kedusha. What evil is, it's a misuse of holy energy. It takes holy energy and it perverts it. It uses it wrongfully. It exploits it. That's what evil is. So, since that's the case, that it has nothing of its own, everything it has is from holiness. Therefore, it is completely nullified in the presence of holiness, as darkness is nullified in the presence of physical light. Okay, that sounds really good. So the Sitra Achor is nothing. It's just darkness. Holiness shows up, light shows up, and it disappears. But that's not what's going on in this chapter. We're talking about somebody who is studying holy things. He is meditating. He understands. He meditates. He's trying to apply. And yet, darkness clouds his soul, and he cannot feel it. His soul is trying to shine, and the darkness won't allow it. What is going on? And so the Alter Rebbe is going to explain this anomaly. Evil in the human being is different than evil at every other level of existence. There is something different that Hashem allowed for so that there can be freedom of choice. Rak shelagabe kedushas nefesh alaykisheb adam nasan laha kadesh baruchu rishos v'yechailas laha gbiya atma kenegda kedei sha adam yisair lehisgaber aleha laha shbila alidei shiflos its power lies only in the fact that in regard to the holiness of man's divine soul, God has given it, the Sitra Ahura, the permission and ability to raise itself against it, the divine soul, in order that man should be aroused to overpower it and to humble it by the means of humility and submission of his spirit and by being abhorrent and despised in his own eyes. For through this, he humbles the Sitra Ahura and he abhors it. So the only reason why evil in man can exist is to allow for the person by his own efforts to overpower it. Otherwise, there would be no struggle. If as soon as the divine soul started working, the animal soul would dissipate, there would be no struggle. So Hashem allowed for this anomaly. It really makes no sense. Light shows up, darkness should disappear. And that's not happening here. It's not happening here because Hashem wants us to be able to exert our own efforts. And you know what? This is an idea that is prevalent throughout the world. 
a lot of times you will find that there are people who have no substance, who have no good character, and yet they have a power of persuasion above people with substance and character. I was reading in a book, uh, Quiet by Susan Cain, a very interesting book. She sp speaks about the power of the introvert, the power of, of the introvert in the world that won't stop talking. And she was saying that she was interviewing a successful business entrepreneur and he said how frustrated he was that people were constantly following people who are great talkers that have bad ideas. And that's what the Sitra Akhra is. It's a great talker with terrible ideas. But because it's a great talker, we're lured into the trap all the time. And Hashem allowed for this so that we can strengthen our own self and overpower it by our own efforts. We overpower it by humbling ourselves, by crushing our heart. Crushing our heart, I have to repeat, even though we said this previously, is not about crushing who we are essentially. Essentially, we are a divine soul. Essentially, we are totally pure. But when we crush our heart, we're crushing that superficial self that we identify with on an everyday level. That ego that keeps us from climbing, that holds us back all the time, that fake self. Our purest self doesn't need to be crushed. It has to be allowed to shine. And it cannot shine as long as we're stuck in the clutches of our own ego. So now, what happens when a person does this? Activity. He actually humbles his heart, he crushes the sitra he casts it down to the ground. And this way he allows his, his soul to shine again. Something global happens at the same time. Ubis arusa de la sata, isa arusa de la ela. We visited this phrase quite a few times already in Tanya. The arousal of man below to crush the sitra causes an arousal above. This is an idea from the Zohar that for every measure that we take down here causes a corresponding measure in the supernal worlds. So a person down here is shattering their own sitra akhara. They're casting their ego down to the ground. Something amazing is happening in the higher world. To fulfill what is written. This is by the prophet Ovadia. From there I will bring you down, says God, to the sitra akhara, which seeks to rise against godliness and to obscure it. So the prophet, the prophet Ovadia says, "Im Hashem." That means if you will raise yourself high like an eagle, and if you will place your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says Hashem. When a person crushes their own sitra achor down here, he causes a corresponding motion above, that Hashem will bring down the supernal sitra achra from above. He allowed the Sitra Akhara to cast darkness over the person's soul so that there could be a struggle. But the person won. He prevailed. And so then the Sitra Akhara reverts back to what it regularly is, some just darkness that has no power of its own. Inherently, it has no power. Hashem gave it this permission to raise itself above the divine soul so that the person, by his own efforts, can cast it down. Once the person casts it down, it served its purpose. It no longer has a purpose of raising itself up. And so automatically it is cast down. This means that he deprives it of its dominion and power and withdraws from it the strength and authority which had been given it to rise up against the light of the holiness of the divine soul. 
Okay, so let's summarize what we said until now, and then we're going to move on to this next section. So, when a person humbles and crushes the sitra Ahura, he is able to reach a level of perception that is as though he's seen the unity of Hashem with his own eyes. And why is it so simple? It should be much more complicated. Well, the reason why it's so simple is because the sitra Ahura, all it is is darkness. There's nothing to it. And the reason why it's able to win over the person is because Hashem gave it special permission. But it's just arrogance. And when a person shatters it down to the ground, it comes to be what it is. Nothing. So that's the end of this section. And now we're moving up to this next section. This next section is very profound. And it's about dealing with doubts of faith. In summarizing this chapter, the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, says... In summary of this section, a Jew has no doubts in faith. <laughs> There's no such thing as a Jew that truly doubts Hashem. Now let's go look, see what the Alter Rebbe says. The Alter Rebbe really is starting this next section with proof from the Torah for what he said. Because it sounds so bold, so simple, almost too simple, that just by crushing the Sitra Ahura we can reach such a high level. It should take really much more than that. It should take much more of a battle. So the Altar brings us a famous story from the Torah. He says like this, Indeed, we find this explicitly stated in the Torah in connection with the spies sent by Moses to scout out the Holy Land. At the outset, they declared, For he, the enemy, is stronger than we. And interpreting this word, Mimenu, the sages say, we not then we, but then he. So this is really crazy. They said, we cannot go up to the land because the people of the land are stronger. Mi menu. Mi menu could be read more than one way. Mi menu me could be from us. The people are stronger than us. We don't want to fight them. There's another translation of the very same word mi menu. The word mi menu could be translated as from him. And our sages said, that the Jewish people made this profoundly blasphemous statement. They said, we don't want to go to the land of Canaan because the people of the land are stronger as if Mimenu from God himself. How profoundly blasphemous. Meaning they had no faith in God's ability to lead them into the Holy Land. But afterwards they reversed themselves and they announced, we will readily go up to conquer, conquer the land. Okay, so this is the story. The spies go to scout the land. They come back with this report. Oh yeah, it's true. The, the land is beautiful. The fruits are beautiful. But this is a land that we're not going to be able to conquer. I mean, look at these giant fruits. You know how giant the people are there? Forget it, we can't go. So the people start crying. And they say they want to appoint a leader to take them back to Egypt. That's a strange thing. First they're crying. They're saying, no, we cannot go to the land of Israel. They said that the people of the land are stronger than God himself. Then they change their mind and they say, you know what? Here we are. We would like to go up. The altar asks a simple question. Once did their faith in God's ability return to them? What happened suddenly that now they have new faith in God? They said something so terrible. They said something that they didn't believe in Hashem. 
and then suddenly they change their mind and say, okay, we want to go up. Our teacher Moses, peace be unto him, had not shown them in the interim any sign or miracle concerning this, which would restore their faith. He had merely told them that God was angry with them and had sworn not to allow them to enter the land. So what happened? No fire came from heaven. No sea was split. Nothing extraordinary. Moses didn't even tell them anything they didn't already know. What did he say? He just said, Hashem got so angry at you, he swore that he's not taking you to the land. That's it. They don't believe in Hashem. Maisha tells them, okay, Hashem swore he's not taking you into the land. Isn't that what they wanted? No, but then they say, okay, here we are. We want to go to Israel. Suddenly they believe in Hashem. What happened? We can't say it was the oath that made them suddenly change their mind. They didn't believe in Hashem. So what is Hashem's oath going to help? What value did the divine anger and oath have to them if in any case they did not believe in God's ability to subdue the 31 kings who reigned in the land at that time, for which reason they had no desire whatever to enter the land? So it's really puzzling. This is like a story we all know from the Torah, but the Altar was analyzing it just at face value. The Jewish people sent spies to the land. The spy says, no, the land is too dangerous. We cannot conquer it. The people start crying. They say they don't want to go. Hashem gets really angry and he swears he will not bring them into the land of Israel. And suddenly they say, okay, we changed our minds. We're going to go. What brings them back to faith? There is no miracle. There is no sign. There is no new knowledge. So the altar explains like this: Surely then, the explanation is as follows: Israelites, Israelites themselves are believers, being the descendants of believers. This is a statement from the Talmud. Our sages say, Jewish people believe. That's who we are inherently. It's part of our nature. It's not something that we came to by logic, even though logic could be used for some levels. It's just who we are. It's inherent in us by the nature of our divine soul. I read a story of a rabbi who was texting some of his congregation before Yom Kippur, reminding them to come to Shul. And one of them texts him back and says, Hey, rabbi, you know I wouldn't come to Shul. He said he was an atheist. But I do want to tell you that I will be fasting. So the rabbi is like, uh, I don't get it. You don't believe in God. You're an atheist. You won't come to Shul, but you're going to be fasting for 25 hours. And he said, yeah, well, back in 2006, his girlfriend was diagnosed with a very serious disease. The doctors didn't think she was going to pull through. So they flew to the Western Wall. He said, God, if you exist, then I will be fasting Yom Kippur. And his girlfriend said that she will stop eating pork. And she recovered. And so ever since then, he fasts every single Yom Kippur. But he will not come to Shul for Simchas Torah. He will not come for Purim. Does this make any sense? Well, no, it doesn't make sense. But absolutely, it makes sense. Because inherently, he believes. He might say he doesn't believe. But why is he fasting on Yom Kippur? Because he believes in Hashem. You know, there's a story of a guy who was a self-proclaimed atheist. And he said to Rabbi Levi Yitzchakmi Bardichev, the great defender of the Jewish people, he said, Rabbi... I don't believe in God. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak turned to him and he said, you know what? The God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. 
a lot of times people say they don't believe in God because they have no idea about Hashem. They're so, their conception of God is based on fairy tales or whatever, you know, something that's totally off the mark. A person starts to understand and study, of course they believe in God. Every single Jewish person believes in God. I mean, throughout history, there's people who were self-proclaimed atheists, who were self-proclaimed heretics. Suddenly, when they were faced with a test of faith in Hashem, that they would have to convert or they would die, these non-believers died. Nobody just gives up their life for something that they doubt. It's because at that moment, they became in touch with their truest and deepest reality. The fact of the matter remains that Jewish people are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Believers, the descendants of believers. That's who we are inherently. It's not something that we reached logically. It's just our nature. So how does it happen that a Jew ever experiences faith in God? Rak shehasitra achra hamlubeshes begufam. Even while they stated the enemy is stronger than he, their divine soul believed in God. They professed, prof, they professed a lack of faith in his ability only because the Sitra clothed in their body, in the person of their animal soul, had risen against the light of the holiness of the divine soul with its characteristic impudent arrogance and haughtiness without sense or reason. They believe. The only reason why they think they have doubts is because the chutzpah of the animal soul that raises itself against the divine soul. The Sitra Akhra's entire power lies in the fact that it doesn't need to explain itself. That's the craziness about doubts and confusion. It doesn't need to explain itself. All it has to do is raise a question. Raise a question of faith. It's not about logic. It's not about proof. It's, I don't need to explain myself, but I'm going to say who says and why. Not to be confused with trying to learn and understand. We all have to learn and understand. But we have to understand we're not dealing with a matter of logic here. We're dealing with a matter that it's just about arrogance and ego. It has nothing to do with logic. It, it's a power that lies in the power of untruth. Of just being able to raise a question. Being able to raise a question is not such a big deal. Anybody can do that. It doesn't need any certainty. There's nothing to it. Because this is the case, Therefore, as soon as God became angry with them, and thundered angrily, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. I, God, have spoken. I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation. So he spoke degrading, harsh words to the people. As soon as he spoke these harsh words, what happened? Their heart was humbled and broken within them when they heard these stern words, as it is written, and the people mourned greatly. So what did he do? He thundered at them. He degraded them. He said harsh words to them. He spoke very strongly. And when that happened, their hearts were humbled. What happened when their hearts were humbled? Consequently, the Sitra Akhra toppled from its dominion, from its haughtiness and arrogance. It lost its existence simply by being cast down. That's what happened. Here's a story in the Torah that proves exactly this point. 
the Jewish people were unfaith, were, were doubting, were having doubts in faith. Hashem spoke harsh words to them. Their hearts were crushed and their faith was restored. And essentially that's what we were talking about in this chapter in Tanya. Raging at the animal soul, disassociating from it, crushing the ego. And what happens? It puts us back in touch with our faith. The Israel Asman Hema Aminim, but the Israelites themselves, meaning as far as their divine soul was concerned, had believed in God all along. Therefore, as soon as they were released from the dominion of the Sitra Achor, they proclaimed, We will readily go up. There was no need of a miracle to convince them of God's ability. All that was necessary was to divest the Sitra Achor of its arrogance, and this was accomplished by God's raging at them. Similarly with every Jew. When the light of his soul does not penetrate his heart, it is merely due to the arrogance of the Sitra Achra, which will vanish as soon as he rages at it. So this is a very profound idea. We don't have to create faith. We already have faith. We just have to access it. I have another story, and this is the story of my brother-in-law, who's a rabbi in New Mexico, and he used to make his rounds putting tefillin on people, and one of the people on his rounds was a very educated, sophisticated man, very successful, and he refused to pull on, on tefillin consistently. He said he's an atheist. Okay, one day he gets a call from this man, he's in the hospital, and he wants to see him, please bring the tefillin, he wants to put on tefillin. So he comes with his tefillin. And he finds out that, unfortunately, the man was recently diagnosed with a serious kidney disease. And the doctors gave him three weeks. And he told my brother-in-law he was born a Jew and he wants to die as a Jew. He wants to put on the tefillin. And he said that they sent a priest into the room. And as soon as he saw the priest, he refused the priest and he said, call my rabbi. And he said to my brother-in-law, he said, you should know that all along, even though he proclaimed he was an atheist, he always believed in God. And every single day, he prayed to God in his heart. So here is yet another paradoxical story of the Jew. There are people who will say they are atheists. There are people who will say that they don't believe in Hashem. And at some level, they may even believe themselves. But there's no such thing as a Jew who in his very essence does not believe in Hashem. Every single Jewish person believes in Hashem. Actually, the, the previous rabbi writes that when he was in the Warsaw Ghetto and they were bombing and they were running from shelter to shelter, the craziness, he writes, this was happening two days after Yom Kippur. At one point, like where they were hiding got bombed and the streets were flooded with smoke. You couldn't see the sky. It was dark in the middle of the day. And they ran to a place that was about 200 Jews from all different walks of life. Some of them were very, very religious. Some of them were self-proclaimed atheists, totally divorced from religion. All of a sudden, a bomb ripped through where they were and hit the room next to them. It seemed like those were their last moments. And he said, at that moment, the entire room, the people who were so diverse, screamed out together, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he said he prayed to Hashem that that moment, that memory remain etched within his heart forever. He said at that moment he saw the power of a Jew, that no matter what their differences were, no matter who said they were religious and who said they weren't religious, when it seemed like life was over, every single Jew in the room screamed, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Rebbe speaks about the story and he said something amazing about the story is the intensity and the fervor of every single person in the room was just as intense, meaning that a person who was seemingly so far away from his religion and the Rebbe, 
the previous Rebbe, at the same time they all screamed Shema Yisrael, they all screamed it with the exact same intensity. At that point, they were all at the core. They were at their Yechida, their quintessence of the soul. So, what lesson do we take from this? The Altar Rebbe says like this. Every person in whose mind there occurred doubts concerning faith in God can deduce from this episode of the spies a lesson. Okay, we can look at the story, we can understand something. That these doubts are nothing but the empty words of the Sitra Achra which raises itself against the divine soul. But Israelites themselves are believers. So this is a very important idea here. That when a person experiences doubt, they should realize that at their core, they are untouchable. At their core, they believe in Hashem. They have to realize that this is an outer voice that is clouding their core. And they have to understand that the power of doubt doesn't lie in anything special that they have. A doubt is nothing. A doubt, the power of the doubt is its power to cast uncertainty in a person's heart. Rabbi Steinsaltz gives an example of a person repeating the same word again and again so many times until it sounds like a nonsense syllable. In this way, a person can forget the name of a person close to them, forget a telephone number that they knew their whole life because suddenly the cloudiness just hazes their conception and they come to doubt everything, even something that they knew all their life. That's the power of doubt. In order to take away that gap, doubt is not about engaging or logical proofs. That's not what it's about. It's about totally disengaging. And when a person disengages, they can once again reach the certainty of it. He says something very interesting, which is sad. And that is that when heaven decides to cast someone down, he is suddenly given suspicions about tzaddikim, holy people. And the more he downspirals, he starts to doubt his own friends and his own relatives until he doesn't trust anybody anymore. And what happens is it feels like there's a poison in his soul and walls begin to rise between him and somebody that he always knew and trusted. It's like a sickly process coming from nothingness and descending into hell. That's what a doubt is. It's a nothingness. What is a doubt? It's just murky waters. It's just confused conceptions. And this person who's experiencing this sickness of the soul starts to doubt people he always trusted. And these walls begin to rise. Now, what would be the way to heal this process? Would it be to repair the wall? No, of course not. The wall is the separation. That wall cannot be repaired. That wall can only be broken down. And that's how it is when dealing with doubts. To engage? No, that's not the way. The way is to disengage, to shatter, to crush, to humiliate the Sitra Akhara. Because it's not about repairing. It's about breaking down. It's casting a shadow of doubt over the soul for no reason. Now, of course, this is not about not using your mind to serve Hashem. It is such an important foundation of Judaism that we must understand, that we must use our minds to serve Hashem. How does the Rambam start Mishnah Torah? He says, It is the, the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom to know that there is a primary being, a primary cause of everything. 
before passing away, Dev HaMelech tells his son Shlomo, Da es Elokei Avicha, know the God of your fathers. In order to love Hashem, we need to know Him. It's one thing to believe, but when we know, it pervades our personality. Anytime you have a question, go, understand, study. But this is not about that. We're not dealing with logic. We're not dealing with rationality. We're dealing with sickly doubts that come from nowhere. They come from the abyss. The point is not to engage because they capture the person in their clutches. They disturb them. They confuse them. The point is to disengage. And when a person disengages and realizes, these doubts are not me. These doubts are from the Sitra Akhara. Essentially me, I am close to Hashem. I'm never far from Hashem. Even in my very essence, I believe in Hashem. No matter what their mind is telling them at that time. When a person is able to see it from this perspective, they can gain clarity and they don't have to feel distance. They realize that their doubts come from a force outside of them, trying to capture their very essence. Now here's something very interesting. It's not just our divine soul that always believes in Hashem. Guess who else always believes in Hashem? The Alter Rebbe says like this, Furthermore, the Sitra Akhra itself entertains no doubts at all concerning faith. As explained in chapter 22, the Klippa in its spiritual state, meaning when not clothed in the human body, does not deny God's sovereignty. So our divine soul all along believes in Hashem. Guess who else all along believes in Hashem? The Sitra Akhra. So why is it creating all this havoc? It has merely been granted permission to confuse man with false and deceitful words in order that he may be more richly rewarded for mastering it. So the Sitra Akhra believes in Hashem and yet it confuses the person because it was given such permission by Hashem so that the person can overpower it, overcome it and receive a rich reward. And now the altar explains. In this, it is similar to the harlot who attempts to seduce the king's son through falsehood and deceit with the king's approval as in the parable narrated in the Holy Zohar. So the Torah tells the parable. The parable, a king hires a harlot to seduce his son so that the prince will reveal his wisdom in resisting her wiles. The harlot herself, knowing the king's intention, does not want the prince to submit to temptation. Similarly with the sister Akhra, it is merely fulfilling its God-given task in attempting to lure man away from God. But actually, it desires that man resist it, thereby earning a greater reward. So sure, she's trying to seduce the prince, but really, she wants the prince to resist her. In this way, the king's going to like her better. She's going to find favor in his eyes. However, this is true only of the spiritual klipa, which is the source of the animal soul. The animal soul and evil impulse as clothed within men, on the other hand, are truly evil. We have to remember this when we scream at them that they're not our friend, our, they are our enemy. And their unequivocal aim is to entice man to do evil. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read this last paragraph, but I want to tell this far-reaching parable of the Baal Shem Tov. That gives me the chills every single time. And he says like this. A king wanted to test the faithfulness of his subjects. So he takes one of his loyal servants. He dresses them up in royal clothing. And he says, go out and incite a rebellion. So he goes out. He stages a rebellion. All the bad guys join the rebellion. They're against the king. All the good guys are fighting against him. How dare you rebel? But then there was one righteous and wise person. 
He doesn't get involved with the good guys. He doesn't get involved with the bad guys. He walks straight over to the servant and he says, Hey, both you and I know that you are only a servant of the king. And with this kind of insight, the Sitra Akhra loses its power. When we remember that every single time the Sitra Akhra is trying to get us, it's really just for our own good so that we can overcome it. We say, hey, I, I know you're working hard, but you're not an entity for yourself. You're not really staging a rebellion. You're just a servant of the king. So that's the end of this chapter, 29. And I'm going to sum up this last part and I'm going to do a quick chapter overview. So to, to sum up this part, the Sitra Akhra is nullified by humbling it. It is just like darkness. Darkness is nullified by the appearance of light. How in the world does the Sitra Akhra have the power to raise itself over the divine soul? Only because Hashem gave it permission to, so that it can, a person can earn reward. Now, we have proof from this from the Torah, and that is with the spies. The spies were first doubting Hashem, then they were humbled, and they once again believed in Hashem. From this, every single Jew who experiences doubt and faith can take a lesson. That a Jew essentially believes. And the only reason why he has doubts is because of the Sitra Akhra. In his essence, he always believes. And you know who else always believes? The Sitra Akhra. The only reason why the Sitra Akhra is able to do all of this is because it's for his own benefit. It's like the harlot that was hired to prove the nobility of the prince. And now I'm going to do a chapter overview. So let's remember that this chapter was all about dealing with spiritual dullness. And spiritual dullness can happen to somebody who even tries hard. And yet, even though he understands, even though he's meditating, his heart doesn't get on fire. And the reason why his heart doesn't get on fire is because of the arrogance of the Sitra Akhra, the animal soul within him that stems from the Sitra Akhra. How is he to deal with that? He is to deal with that by realizing that on an everyday basis, he identifies with the animal soul. And that makes him very, very far from Hashem. That should bring him intense humility. And if that doesn't bring him humility, then he can think about the things that he did when he was younger, serious sins, that even though he did teshuva for them, but nevertheless, for where he is now, his teshuva may not be enough. And it could be that today, his teshuva was not accepted. Or it could be that he is perfect where he is, but from heaven, he is given this opportunity to raise himself higher, and therefore he is experiencing numbness. Another thing a person should consider in order to bring himself to a state of humility is his dreams. Think about the fact that his dreams are sometimes nonsense and vanity. Sometimes they're tormenting. And that is a sign that he may not be ascending to the higher realms when he goes to sleep at night. He may not be of clean hands and a pure heart. And the Altarba then gave us another method and he told us, rage against your animal soul. Scream at it in your mind and say, you are wicked, you are evil. And in this way, we crush the Sitra Akhara. What happens when we crush the Sitra Akhara? We can come to a new level, a new space, where we become aware of the truth of the unity of Hashem. And that seems too simple. How could it be such a simple thing? We just cast it down and then we can come to such a level of awareness. Yes, because the Sitra Akhara is substanceless. It has no substance at all. All it is is the absence of light. The fact that it could raise itself above the holiness of the divine soul is really an anomaly. It shouldn't be able to. Hashem only allows it so that a person can master it by his own efforts and he can receive a great reward. And proof for this is the story of the spies in the Torah. 
the spies didn't believe in Hashem. They were brought to a state of humility, and once again their faith was restored. And this is a lesson that everybody who has doubts in faith can take to heart. That a Jew essentially is a believer, the descendant of believers. A Jew doesn't doubt in Hashem. The only reason why he experiences doubts is because the Sitra Achra is, is raising itself over his divine soul. But if he casts it down, he can come to his truest space and he should realize that the Sitra Achra, just like his divine soul believes in, this, in Hashem, guess who else always believes in Hashem? The Sitra Achra. And it only is allowed to raise itself above the divine soul so the person can come to this realization by his own efforts and receive greater reward. So that's the end of chapter 29. Mazel tov. It took us six classes. <laughs> and I'm opening now for question and discussion. Everybody's on mute. So if you have something to share, please unmute yourself. I have a question. Is the Sitra Ahura the same as the Yetzirahara? So this Yetzirahara comes from the Sitra Ahura, but it is not the Sitra Ahura. So, so they're similar. So the Sitra, so, so like the Yetzirah is a product of the Sitra Achra. The Sitra Achra means the other side. Anything that is not holy. It's the force that animates anything that's not holy. One of those things are the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It comes from the Sitra okay, Achra. But we can identify them because they're the same thing. I, this, how about this? The Yetzirah is the Sitra Achra within the person. Okay. It's the person's own dark side. That together with yeah. his animal soul. Okay, bye everybody.